Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 58 of the show, and it's definitely another busy one for you. Of course, we'll get you caught up uh, in the NFL. We're through 17 weeks here. Uh, Lots to talk about there. Playoff races uh, pretty much wrapped up. We'll go over the playoff picture there, get you caught up on all the news and info around the NFL. Talk about some stuff in the NHL and NBA. Not sure if we'll do full standings updates uh, there, but we'll go into some news and info there. And... Uh, We'll hit some college basketball this week, do a rankings update in men's basketball. Uh, But I named this episode 2022, T-O-O, as in also, because the things that we're seeing with the Omicron variant of COVID and the way that the sports world is reacting is very reminiscent of the almost two years ago, March 2020, when COVID first hit. Sports world shut down completely. Um, We're seeing a lot of similarities between how sports was handled then versus how it's being handled right now. And I don't think uh, when the Delta variant hit hit several months back that we didn't have this big of a reaction to the Delta variant as we are the Omicron variant. Now, of course, you know, you listen to whatever you listen to. You hear reports the uh, Omicron's more contagious than Delta, etc. That's why more people are testing positive. Whatever the case is, the, the point is is that sports in and of itself is is being treated uh, the exact same right now uh, as it was two years ago when COVID first hit. So we're almost two years ago. Uh, we're two months shy of the two-year anniversary of COVID. So uh, it's just, it's very concerning uh, to be quite frank. Um, but I think we're going to get through it, and we'll get into the ways that it's impacted you know, college football over the past couple weeks with the bowl games and the NFL, how it still continues to affect that, and of course the NHL and the NBA as well. So we'll get into all of that, but we're going to start off uh, in the PGA Tour like we normally do, and uh, there was no, obviously the last episode was released just before Christmas, so we've had Christmas and New Year's since the last episode. I hope everybody had a good holiday uh, weekend for both weekends. And uh, there's been no PGA Tour event, but there is one this upcoming weekend, which is January 6th through the 9th. And it is the Century Tournament of Champions, which is held at the Plantation Course, which is in Kapalua, Hawaii, Maui. So it's a rare par 73 course. Distance is 7,596 yards. In fact, this course is the only course on tour that plays to a par 73. So I would expect to see some pretty low scores this weekend. Uh, Of course, it's in Hawaii, so you got amazing ocean views of the course, you know, while you're on the course. Uh, But there are some massive elevation changes on the fairways 
but they're also very wide fairways. So that'll play well into the players uh, having some low scores uh, in addition to that extra shot they get on the par 73. So uh, this is a limited field. It's a 40-player field, and the players are all of the uh, eligible winners from last year's calendar events. So the 2020-2021 calendar year for the PGA, 40 winners on tour uh, are the players that are playing in this field. So it's very limited, very good players. Uh, 39 of the 40 winners from last season are playing, with the exception of Rory. So Rory McIlroy is your only winner from last year that's not playing, but his spot is being taken by Xander Shoffley, who did not win on the PGA Tour last year, but he did win the Olympic gold medal over the summer in the Tokyo Olympics. So uh, he is taking the spot of Rory. But some other names that uh, will be in the field, uh, some big names, you got Abraham Anser, Daniel Berger, Sam Burns, Patrick Cantlay, Cameron Champ, Bryson DeChambeau, Harris English, Tony Finau, uh, Max Homa, Victor Hovland, Brooks Kepka, Mark Leishman, Hideki Matsuyama, Phil Mickelson, Colin Morikawa, John Rahm, Patrick Reed, uh, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, and Cam Smith. Uh, that's pretty much all. There's a few others, smaller name players uh, that are playing, but that is who is going to be in this field. So it's a very limited field, lots of good players. I would expect to see some very high-level golf. Uh, this is going to be the 10th official tournament of the 2021-2022 calendar season. So uh, we're already 10 events into this new PGA Tour schedule. Now, uh, this is where it's going to start to pick up weekly now that we've we've crossed into the new year. So uh, again, I would expect to see some very low scores this week. Uh, great tournament. I'll probably tune into a little bit of it uh, just because of the uh, lack of college football uh, occupying my time, but we'll still have some NFL football on Saturday and Sunday this week. So, uh, But again, uh, this is actually the Century Tournament of Champions is the first of two consecutive weeks in Hawaii. They'll also be in Hawaii uh, the following weekend as well. But again, like I said, be sure and tune into the Century Tournament of Champions. But before we get into the pro sports, I want to hit college football right now. Uh, there's been a lot of bowl games since the last episode. Um, last episode, we of course, college football playoffs have occurred as well. We'll recap those. But last episode, we had made our recap through the uh, Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl. All right, That was the last bowl game we talked about. That was back on December 23rd. Uh, Christmas Day was the Tax Act Camellia Bowl. Georgia State beat Ball State 51-20. to And then uh, Monday, December 27th, there were two bowl games. The Quick Lane Bowl featured Western Michigan and Nevada, and that was in Detroit. Western Michigan had the home field advantage, and they absolutely pummeled Nevada 52-24. Uh, the Military Bowl, which was supposed to feature uh, Boston College and East Carolina, okay, that was supposed to be on Monday, December 27th. We had talked about uh, last episode a couple of bowl games that had been altered by the Omicron variant of COVID. Well, over the past week or so, week and a half, we had several more bowl games that were canceled. Uh, the first one was the Military Bowl. All right, that uh, was on December 27th. It was supposed to be Boston College, who was six and six, versus East Carolina, who was seven and five. Well, the day before this game was supposed to come out, so the 26th, Boston College reported that due to COVID and injuries, they had 40 players ineligible, 
All right, and that was the day before the game was supposed to be played. So uh, that game had to be canceled entirely. They didn't have enough time to uh, make alterations to the game. So the Military Bowl was canceled. Then on uh, Thursday, December 28th, some bowl games that happened, uh, the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl Houston beat Auburn 17-13. Man, Houston, uh, they lost to Cincinnati in the American Athletic Championship game, but that's a really good team. Uh, Dana Dana Holgerson, the coach, doing some good things there. The Surf Pro First Responder Bowl, which was here in Dallas. uh, Air Force beat Louisville 31-28. The AutoZone Liberty Bowl was at night. Uh, That one was Texas Tech and Mississippi State. This was very surprising. Uh, you know, Mississippi State's SEC team, Texas Tech's Big 12, and Texas Tech came out ripping. They won 34-7. to It wasn't even close. Um, you know, Mississippi State dealt with a, a big opt-out on their offensive line that we'll talk about here in a little bit. But uh, freshman quarterback, true freshman quarterback for Texas Tech, Donovan Smith, he had 252 yards passing with a touchdown, and he added 30 yards and a touchdown on the ground. He just looked very good. Uh, Texas Tech in general was a very surprising victory in that fashion. And then later that night uh, as well, it was the guaranteed rate bowl, which was West Virginia and Minnesota. And uh, Minnesota came to play. They uh, they pretty much dominated the game. They they never trailed at any point. They, they won 18-6, to six, um, but they had the lead. Uh, took the lead in the second quarter uh, and never really looked back. Uh, West Virginia couldn't get anything going on offense. Just uh, not a great, not a great game there. But the the other game that was supposed to take place really late uh, on Tuesday night, the twenty eighth, was the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. All right, that one featured six and three UCLA versus nine and three North Carolina State. And this game was set, ready to go, and just hours before kickoff, uh, I'm pretty sure maybe the teams had already arrived at the stadium or were getting ready to, uh, but UCLA had to pull out of this thing due to positive COVID tests. So I guess they got some last-minute positive tests uh, just hours before the game. And so UCLA had to pull out of that game. And that pissed off uh, North Carolina State coach, um, I saw an interview. He basically, uh, you know, NC State was deemed the winners, obviously, by forfeit on UCLA's end. Uh, but that's not what they went there to do. Uh, North Carolina State flew all the way across the country to San Diego for this game and wasn't even able to play it. Uh, their coach had some pretty harsh words. Uh, if you want to go check that interview out, uh, you can hear what he had to say. But it was uh, that was definitely... Uh, a, a bummer for both teams there you know uh, at least they had their mind set on playing and then just hours before the game it gets canceled so uh, that game did not happen so the, the holiday bowl was canceled so that was two games uh, plus the other game that was canceled from the priest so that's three games up to this point that have been completely canceled uh, due to COVID now on Wednesday December 29th there were three bowl games that were played uh, the New Era Pinstripe Bowl played at Yankee Stadium. Uh, that one featured Maryland and Virginia Tech. And Maryland came out 
thumping. They they won 54 to 10 over Virginia Tech, which is the most points scored in a bowl game in Maryland history. Uh just uh, unbelievable. Uh Talia Tagavaloa, uh, Tua Tagavaloa's brother, he was 20 to 24 passing for 265 yards, two touchdowns and added another 42 on the ground. So, he was uh definitely a factor in that game. The Cheez-It Bowl, I actually watched most of this game. It was Clemson versus Iowa State. Uh, Obviously, we had some opt-outs on both sides. And Clemson, you know, uh, was coming into this with nine wins. Uh, They needed a win to hit 10 on the season. They did that. Clemson beat Iowa State 20-13. to Turned out to be a really good game. And uh, back, kind of back and forth. Clemson had the lead. That Clemson was up twenty to three at one point in the third quarter, and then uh, Iowa State managed to get uh, ten points, uh, including a, a fourth quarter touchdown with about ten minutes left to pull close, but uh, couldn't mount the comeback. Brock Purdy, the Iowa State quarterback, is a senior, uh, came in with a lot of lot of praise. Didn't really look great, but. I'm not sure he really helped his draft stock at all. But uh, this win for Clemson was their 10th of the season, and it makes them uh, the longest longest streak, uh, I believe, tying the longest streak in NCAA history, FBS history. 11 seasons in a row now they've hit 10 wins, which is just remarkable. Uh, all props to Dabo Swinney, the head coach there, for turning that program around and getting them to the national powerhouse that they have been. This was the first time in six years that Clemson had not made the college football playoffs, uh, but nonetheless, they ended up with a 10-win season. And the final game of the night was the Valero Alamo Bowl, featured Oregon and Oklahoma. This game was absolutely bonkers. I watched the entire game. Uh, Oklahoma got up by like 100. Uh, It was just an absolute beatdown. I think it officially was 30-3 to at halftime. And uh, just Oklahoma looked like they were playing a a JV team in Oregon. But Oregon managed to get it back. Uh, A couple of big strike plays in this one. And uh, Oregon made it close. They got within two scores late. Uh, Touchdown with about six and a half minutes left to bring it within two scores. And they didn't get the onside kick. But props to Oregon for attempting to make a comeback. It was just, uh, it was, what a game, man. Back and forth, lots of offense, about 1,100 yards of offense in this one. Uh, Both running backs, Kennedy Brooks on the Oklahoma side, 142 yards, three touchdowns. And then um, on the Oregon side, Travis Dye had 153 yards and a touchdown uh, on the ground. So he, you know, it was just a running back duo. Of course, Caleb Williams looked really sharp, 21 to 27 for 242 yards. Um, that was a that was a really fun game to watch. Uh, not so much in the first half, but in the second half when Oregon started playing. Uh, but there was supposed to be a fourth bowl game on the 29th, and that was the Wasabi Fenway Bowl, featured eight and four SMU versus six and six Virginia. Well, Virginia, uh, a couple days before the game, had some COVID issues come up, so that game was canceled. That made the fourth bowl game that was canceled, and. Uh, so we saw we saw that happen on the 29th. Then uh, all four games on the Thursday, December 30th that were played uh, managed to get played. Started off with the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. South Carolina beat North Carolina 38-21. Uh, 
Coach Frank Beamer got a mayo bath after that one. And the next bowl was Transperfect Music City Bowl. Purdue versus Tennessee. Purdue won in overtime, 48-45. Tennis, this game was absolutely, this was actually probably the best game um, outside of the New Year's Six games. And Purdue and Tennessee, just back and forth, there were, in the fourth quarter alone, there were three, uh, two touchdowns over 60 yards, both on the Purdue side. Tennessee had like a 50-yard run at one point. So there were three 50-yard plays in the fourth quarter. It was just like no defense, back and forth. Tennessee kicked a field goal to tie the game with a minute and a half left, went into overtime. In overtime, Tennessee got the ball first, went forward on fourth and goal, and the running back uh, appeared to get stopped at the one-yard line. His forward progress was stopped. There was a couple second delay, and then he reached the ball across the plane of the goal line. But the referee blew it dead before he did that. Uh, the whistle didn't actually happen until after the ball crossed the goal line. But uh, some controversy there about whether or not the play should have been a touchdown or whatever. So, But they, they said his forward progress had already been stopped. So that gave Purdue the ball. Purdue ends up kicking a field goal on second down to win the game. Uh, just devastating for Tennessee fans. This was the first uh, New Year's Six game. It was the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, featured Michigan State and Pittsburgh. And uh, Pitt, of course, was without Kenny Pickett, their star quarterback. Michigan State was without Kenneth Walker the third or the fourth. Uh, he opted out. Both of them opted out to prepare for the draft. So the two biggest stars in this game didn't play, uh, but it still was a good game. Michigan State won 31-21, a late pick six, 78-yard pick six, helped seal the deal on that one to give Sparty the victory there. And then the nightcap on the 30th was the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl. Wisconsin uh, beat Arizona State 20-13. Then on New Year's Eve, all right, New Year's Eve, a few bowl games. The Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, Wake Forest beat Rutgers 38-10. to If you remember from last episode, Rutgers was a replacement team for Wake Forest. Uh, that was not their original opponent, but Rutgers was the uh, most eligible team based on their academic scores. So Rutgers got to play on short notice, and they got pummeled. The uh, Tony the Tiger Bowl, this one was weird so weird turn of events tony the tiger bowl and the barstool sports arizona bowl okay here's how this went down with regards to the covid situation the barstool sports arizona bowl uh was supposed to feature eight and four central michigan versus seven and five boise state well boise state a couple days before the game had some cases pop up positive COVID cases, so they had to withdraw. Well, in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, both of those games were set for New Year's Eve. The Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl featured 5-3 and three Miami of Ohio versus 7-5 and five Washington State. Well, Miami of Ohio, oh, this is Miami, Florida, rather. I'm sorry. Uh, Miami had to pull out of the Sun Bowl, of course, due to positive COVID cases. So that left the Sun Bowl in doubt. Uh, But this news broke around the same time as the Arizona Bowl news with Boise State's COVID issues. So Central Michigan 
uh, and the MAC conference, the Mid-American Conference officials, began negotiating with the Sun Bowl about becoming a replacement team for the game since their game had been uh, canceled, essentially, over in the Arizona Bowl. So a deal was quickly done, and uh, the Arizona Bowl was going to be played in Tucson, Arizona, and the Sun Bowl is in El Paso, Texas. So wasn't much really of a geographical difference for Central Michigan to travel. So Central Michigan and the MAC uh, ended up getting a deal worked out. So the Arizona Bowl was canceled. That made bowl game number five that was canceled. Central Michigan moved over to take Miami's spot in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl against Washington State. In that game, Central Michigan ended up winning 24-21. This was a sloppy game. It was uh, raining, uh, not great conditions. Uh, Washington State scored with about three minutes left to get within a field goal, but Central hung on for the win. Fire up chips there. Uh, The other bowl games that were played on New Year's Eve were, of course, the college football playoff games, which we'll get into in a minute. But uh, the games that took place on Saturday, January 1st, you had the Outback Bowl. Arkansas beat Penn State 24-10. The PlayStation Fiesta Bowl was 12-2 Oklahoma State versus 11-1 Notre Dame. Now, Notre Dame did not have star safety Kyle Hamilton because he opted out, and they didn't need him, at least for the first half, because Notre Dame got up 28-7 in the second quarter, but then Oklahoma State answered right before the half ended to make it 28-14 at halftime. And that was uh, part of a 30 straight unanswered points by Oklahoma State, who went up 37-28 to late in the fourth. Notre Dame got a last-second touchdown with about a minute left. Didn't get the onside kick, so Oklahoma State won 37-35. This was Notre Dame's eighth straight loss in a BCS slash New Year's Six slash college football playoff bowl game. Yeah, they're 0-8 in those such games, which is the most such losses by any team in BCS or college football playoff era. Uh, the Citrus Bowl was Kentucky versus Iowa. Kentucky won 20-17. to Big game from Wandale Robinson. The Kentucky receiver had over 150 yards. Uh, the Rose Bowl. This game was absolutely bonkers. It was 10-3 Utah, Pac-12 champs versus 10-2 Ohio State. And but it was this game or the uh, Transperfect Music City Bowl between Purdue or Tennessee, uh, Purdue and Tennessee that was the very best bowl game of them all. Ohio State ended up winning 48-45 in the Rose Bowl, but the game itself, man, they went back and forth, bunch of lead changes. Uh, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud set the Rose Bowl record with 573 passing yards, six touchdowns. And then Ohio State wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba, pride of Rockwall, Texas. Shout out to Rockwall High School. He just had another worldly game. Just uh, He finished with 15 catches for 347 yards, three touchdowns. Could have had a fourth touchdown, but he was tackled inside the five-yard line from behind on like a 50-yard touchdown. He fumbled the ball, but uh, OSU ended up hanging on for the win. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba's 347 yards receiving in that game was the most receiving yards in a bowl game in FBS history. So just an unbelievable performance from him. Then the night cap was the All-State Sugar Bowl. It was 12-2 Baylor, the Big 12 champs versus 10-3 Ole Miss. Now, Baylor ended up winning 21-7. 
but that was mainly due to the fact that Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral, he's a junior, he uh, is projected to be a first-round pick, maybe the first or second quarterback off the board in April. He chose not to opt out, chose to play because he wanted to be there for his guys, and ended up getting hurt. He got rolled up on, I believe it was in the second quarter of that game, got carted off with an ankle injury, and then that sparked a ton of controversy about the opting out. And uh, I can understand why that is the case. But uh, just that was just your heart goes out to Matt Corral. Hopefully he recovers and it's not as serious. I haven't heard any post-game updates as far as uh, if it's a sprain or a break. But it looked to just be a sprain. Uh, but we'll have to see on that. So that brings us to the college football playoff games. The Both of them took place on New Year's Eve. The Goodyear Cotton Bowl featured Alabama, the number one seed versus Cincinnati, the number four seed. Uh, this game, Cincinnati came in as 13.5-point underdogs. They caught a lot of flack about you know be, being the first non-Power 5 conference team to get in. And oddly enough, their defense was one of the better defenses in the country, led by uh, in their secondary, uh, Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant. And Cincinnati's defense actually kept him in the first half, although... They did give up 302 yards of offense to Alabama in that first half, but they uh, were still in the game at halftime, despite only having 76 yards of offense at the half. So Cincinnati's 76 yards of offense at halftime was the fewest amount of yards in a half of any college football playoff game. This is the eighth year the college football playoffs have been uh, in effect. This was the fewest amount of yards of offense in a half. In fact, at one point, Cincinnati went through a stretch of 18 plays where they had only gained 10 yards, which is just absolutely abysmal. Desmond Ritter, senior quarterback for Cincinnati, did not do himself any favors. Uh, He kept getting balls batted at the line of scrimmage. Just didn't really look great. Uh, Now, obviously, Alabama's defense was ridiculous, but uh, nonetheless, Alabama ended up winning the game 27-6, so it was a 21-point victory for Alabama. This was Alabama's sixth straight college football playoff semifinal win, all of which have been by double digits. They had 302 rushing yards in the game. Uh, Brian Robinson had 170 of those. Dude was on fire. Uh, That is the most rushing yards for Alabama in a bowl game in their school history, believe it or not, of all the great running backs and rushing attacks that they've had there at Alabama. uh, This was the highest rush yard total in any bowl game in Bama history. And then Heisman winning trophy, Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Bryce Young, he broke uh, Tua Tagovailoa's single season Alabama passing touchdown record, throwing uh, three touchdowns in this one. But uh, yeah, Alabama looked really tough. They came to play. You never underestimate Nick Saban. I mean, they were they were thirteen and a half point favorites for a reason, uh, and they ended up beating covering that spread. Uh, by seven and a half points. Second college football playoff game was the Capital One Orange Bowl. Georgia versus Michigan. Michigan was the two seed. Georgia was the three seed. Big Ten champs, Michigan. And then, of course, Georgia got beat in the SEC championship game by Alabama. But this game, holy cow, uh, what an unbelievable performance by Georgia. They came out swinging. They scored on their first four drives. They had two touchdowns followed by two field goals which was the first time since 2010 that Michigan had allowed points 
on their opponent's first four drives, and they really never looked back. Uh, they took a 27, a late touchdown, minute and a half left in the second quarter. Uh, Stetson Bennett found Jermaine Burton for a 57-yard touchdown to put the dogs up 27-3 to at halftime. And you knew at that point uh, the game was over. Georgia's defense was absolutely stifling. There was no points scored in the, in the third quarter. Uh, Georgia ended up getting another long touchdown to start the fourth, 39-yard touchdown uh, to go up 34-3. to Michigan scored with four and a half minutes left. Uh, got the two-point conversion. They put their freshman quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, in it. Man, he looked really good. Uh, he was slinging the ball. He was only 7 of 17 uh, for 131 yards passing, but he was putting some zip on the ball. His athleticism running the ball uh, was just uh, incredible. Uh, he's going to be a, a phenom there in Ann Arbor for the next several years. But Stetson Bennett was uh, the offensive MVP. He was 20 of 30 for 313 yards, three touchdowns. It looked effortless for him, really. Uh, just uh, didn't really get stressed out. George's O-line did a good job taking care of Aiden Hutchinson, the Heisman runner-up, Michigan D-end, and, of course, David Ojabo, the other D-end. Those two combined for uh, – like 23 or 24 sacks in the regular season. And uh, Aiden Hutchinson is very likely going to be a top overall draft pick in the NFL, either number one or number two probably. Um, he's he's an incredible talent. He didn't even sniff Stetson Bennett, didn't get near him at all, had no sacks, either one of them, Hutchinson or Jabo. Georgia really put an amazing game plan together. Uh, so that sets up the college football national championship game between Alabama and Georgia. It's a rematch of the SEC championship game. Uh, we'll probably, this game's on January 10th. I, I may not have another episode out by that time. So I'll go ahead and make my prediction. Alabama's looking to win back-to-back national titles for the first time since the 2011-2012 seasons. Uh, you know, it's very difficult to beat a good team twice in the same season, let alone twice in a month, month and a half. So um, I think George is actually opening as a three-and-a-half-point favorite in that game, even though they're the three-seed, Alabama's the one-seed. Uh, I just like uh, I like Alabama in this game. I know it's difficult to beat Georgia back-to-back. If both teams play the best to their ability – right with uh, with how they are capable of playing i think alabama has a slight edge because i think their defense can match what georgia's defense is doing uh and they just i think they're going to watch the game film from the sec championship game and try to try to imitate a lot of the same style of plays i think jamison williams will be a factor in this one he was pretty much a non-factor in the cotton bowl um if i was betting I would say Alabama plus the three and a half points, but I do think that uh, you know Nick Saban is four and zero against Kirby Smart. Of course, Kirby Smart's one of Saban's former coaches, so he hasn't lost to him. Uh, but this is this is Kirby Smart's best chance. Uh, I like Bryce Young better than Stetson Bennett, uh, obviously. Uh, I like Jamison Williams better than any Georgia receiver, even George Pickens. Uh, I do like Georgia's defense a little better overall than Bama's, but uh, I like the Crimson Tide to win the national title and uh, be the first team to win back-to-back since 2011-2012. Uh,
But we'll move on to our professional sports area of conversation, starting off in the National Football League. Now, we've had two weeks of football be played since the last episode. That would be week 16 and week 17. Um, but between weeks 15 and 16, we had a 10-day span in which there were eight eight nights of where football was being played. We had a couple of Tuesday night games in week 15 and then a Saturday night game in week 16. So we had uh, eight NFL days of football in, in 10 days, which was nice to watch. Uh, but week 16, the theme of that was Big Fella Sunday. We had uh, four linemen who had scored a touchdown in week 16, which was the first time in NFL history that that many players over 300 pounds had scored a touchdown on the same day. Those four linemen, Philadelphia offensive tackle Lane Johnson at 325 pounds, Jacksonville offensive lineman Will Will Richardson Jr. at 320 pounds, Dallas offensive tackle Terrence Steele at 318 pounds, and then New York Jets lineman Connor McDermott at 310 pounds, all scored a touchdown in Week 16. But before we get into the playoff picture, I just want to hit some news from across the league Starting off in the AFC East, the Miami Dolphins, they won their first game of the year, proceeded to lose the next seven in a row, and then won their next seven in a row before losing in week 17. So they're currently 8-8, eight and eight, but the Dolphins have become the first team in NFL history to have both a seven-game losing streak and a seven-game winning streak in the same season. So that uh, is, is pretty interesting. And, uh, you know, their, their offense isn't that great. But believe it or not, Tua Tagovailoa, quarterback, has the best winning percentage of the quarterbacks drafted since 2019. So his winning percentage since getting drafted is 632. Uh, Mac Jones is at 600. Kyler Murray at 489. Justin Herbert at 467 and Joe Burrow at 460. Now, that was through Week 16. So the Week 17 games, of course, Tua and Mac Jones lost. Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, and Joe Burrow all won. But their winning percentages are so low that they would not be that, – that, that, those numbers, uh, that, those, that order has not changed. Tua still has the best winning percentage out of any of the quarterbacks in that list between – Mac Jones, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, and Joe Burrow, which is a pretty impressive list of quarterbacks. Um, not really something that you would have thought of, considering Tua has been hurt some of the you know some of his career so far. Over in the AFC North, the Cincinnati Bengals have clinched their first division title since 2015. A lot of that's due in large part to quarterback Joe Burrow. Uh, in Week 16, he threw for 525 yards against the Baltimore Ravens which was the third highest single-game passing total in NFL history. And if you recall, back in Week 7, the Bengals played the Ravens, and Burrow threw for 416 yards in that game. So that made Burrow the first player ever to have two 400-yard passing games against the same team in the same season. Very impressive. And a lot of that is due to his weapons that he has, wide receivers Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Through week 16, we're the only wide receiver duo in the league to have over 1,000 yards each. Now, Kansas City with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey both have 1,000 yards as pass catchers, but Kelsey, of course, is a tight end. So 
before Week 17's games were played. And I don't know if this might still be the case. Uh, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins are the only wide receiver duo uh, with 1,000 yards each. Now, Jamar Chase, he's pretty much got Offensive Rookie of the Year locked up, and he solidified that with his Week 17 performance where he had 266 yards and three touchdowns. In that performance, Week 17, Jamar Chase passed Justin Jefferson, former LSU teammate who had just set the rookie receiving record last year with 1,400 yards. Jamar Chase currently, after Week 17, has 1,429 yards, and he still has one game to play. So he's going to shatter that record. And just think about this for a second. Those two receivers, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, were both teammates in uh, 2019 at LSU when they won the national title. And, oh, yeah, their quarterback was Joe Burrow. So that just goes to show you how preposterous that 2019 LSU team was. And speaking of Joe Burrow, in his last two games, week 16, week 17, he is 67 of 85 passing with 971 passing yards, eight touchdowns, and zero interceptions. That is just unbelievable. His quarterback rating is 150 over the last two games. He is a big reason why they won the AFC North. Over in Pittsburgh, uh, they are hanging around the playoffs. Uh, they're 8-7-1. and one. They won on Monday night in Ben Roethlisberger's last home game ever at Heinz Field. That gave him his 98th career victory at Heinz Field, which is the third uh, most victories at a single field in NFL history. He's behind Tom Brady at Gillette Stadium and uh, John Elway at Mile High Stadium there. But head coach Mike Tomlin the Steelers, he continues his dominance as a head coach. So with his with that win on Monday, he has now clinched his 15th straight season without a losing record, which is the most consecutive such seasons to begin a coaching career in NFL history. Now, of course, Bill Belichick's obviously the best coach in the league, but I think Mike Tomlin might be right behind Belichick in that area. Over in the AFC South, the Indianapolis Colts, they lost in Week 17, but prior to that, they had won eight out of their last ten games after they started the season one and four. A big key to that has been, of course, their running back, Jonathan Taylor, who's their MVP candidate. Uh, the Colts, uh, prior to Week 17, the Colts were 9-0 and in games that Taylor had rushed for more than 100 yards. They were 0-6 in games that he had rushed for less than 100 yards. So you could see the key to the Colts winning or having a successful uh, game was their rushing attack with Jonathan Taylor. But that streak was snapped in Week 17 because Taylor had 108 yards and the Colts lost. But in that game, uh, Jonathan Taylor did pass Edger and James for the most rushing yards in a single season by a Colts player. The kid's just been unbelievable, uh, certainly going to be in the MVP conversation here uh, in a few weeks. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars running back James Robinson, he tore his Achilles back in Week 16. Uh, you know, he's Obviously done for the year. Jacksonville has been eliminated from the playoffs for quite some time now, so that's not really uh, a big issue for the Jags. Uh, the Houston Texans quarterback Davis Mills. It's a rookie quarterback, third-round pick, kind of got thrown into action with Tyrod Taylor's injury early in the year, and Davis Mills has looked really good. In fact, out of this rookie quarterback class, Davis Mills has two games with a passer rating of over 130. Mac Jones only has one, and then Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, and Trey Lance have a zero 
games. At least that was through week 16 uh, with a passer rating of over 130. So very surprising to see Davis Mills at the top of that list. Uh, Over in the AFC West, the Kansas City Chiefs, they have clinched their sixth consecutive AFC West division title. Over in the NFC, Dallas Cowboys corner Trevon Diggs. In week 16, he caught his 11th interception of the season, which uh, was more or is more than 12 other teams have as a team. Uh, Washington, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Carolina, Atlanta, Seattle, New York Jets, Jacksonville, Chicago, Baltimore, and Las Vegas all have fewer interceptions as a team this year than Trevon Diggs has by himself. And, of course, Micah Parsons, he continues to dominate. Had another sack in Week 16. I think he's pretty much solidified the Defensive Rookie of the Year award. Uh, Over in the NFC North, Green Bay Packers, uh, they have clinched the top overall seed in the NFC. They will have the bye and home field advantage throughout the playoffs. In Week 16, though, Quarterback Aaron Rodgers threw his 443rd touchdown pass of his career, which is the most passing touchdowns in Green Bay Packer history. That passes Brett Favre, so that was a pretty significant milestone for Rodgers. Of course, he threw a few more touchdowns here uh, on <clears throat> the Sunday night football game in Week 17, so he's just adding to that record. Uh, in Minnesota, the Vikings wide receiver Justin Jefferson He officially broke Odell Beckham Jr.'s receiving record for the most receiving yards in his first two seasons. Of course, Jefferson had set the rookie receiving record last year at 1,400 yards, which, as we just talked about, was just broken by Jamar Chase. But uh, through his first two seasons, Odell Beckham had 2,755. So Jefferson passed that in Week 16, added to it in week 17 and he's still got one more game left to add on to it so he may possibly get to 3,000 yards before it's all said and done but the Vikings other star receiver Adam Thielen he of course missed a couple games due to a high ankle sprain came back re-injured his ankle in week 16 and he missed week 17 because the Vikings have announced that he had season-ending ankle surgery So uh, to fix that, the Vikings are eliminated from the playoffs. So Thielen went ahead and got his ankle fixed. He should be ready to go for next year. Over in the NFC South, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they've officially clinched the NFC South division, which is actually the first Buccaneers division title since 2007. Now you remember last year, Brady and the Bucs won the Super Bowl, but they did not win the division. Uh, the New Orleans Saints won the division last year. Tampa Bay was a wild card team. But week 17 for Tampa Bay was one of the strangest things I've ever seen uh, on the field. Of course, it involves wide receiver Antonio Brown. You've probably heard about it, seen it. Uh, he basically got into some kind of sideline argument with head coach Bruce Arians about uh, his playing time and being injured and uh, not being able to play. But Arians was trying to get him to play. That There, there was some kind of issue about uh, Brown playing. And Brown straight up, you know, took his helmet, shoulder pads off, chunked him. Uh, Tom Brady, Mike Evans both tried to calm him down. But uh, Brown basically stripped down, uh, began walking to the locker room, took his Under Armour shirt off, threw it into the crowd, took his gloves off, threw those into the crowd, 
and then ran onto the field through the end zone shirtless, jumping up and down, waving, and throwing the, the peace sign up. So uh, he basically quit. Uh, and Bruce Arians said after the game that he's no longer a Buccaneer. Uh, but as we sit here several days after that incident, Antonio Brown still has not been officially released from Tampa Bay. Uh, I read something that said the Buccaneers were looking into all options to try and uh, get him some help, but they still have not officially released him, which is very strange. Uh, you've seen all the memes by now, uh, I'm sure, about Antonio Brown. If you have not, it is worth your time to Google the Antonio Brown memes. They are absolutely hilarious. Uh, he was stuck in New York. He was not able to fly back to Tampa with the team. And in fact, the very next night, he was sitting courtside at a Brooklyn Nets basketball game. So uh, not sure what's going on with Antonio Brown, but uh, you probably won't see him in a Buccaneer uniform uh, ever again. But the New Orleans Saints, uh, they had to start fourth-round rookie quarterback Ian Book in Week 16 for their Monday night game. Uh, they lost that game, which this loss, uh, of course, Ian Book went to Notre Dame. He became, or he just added to a losing streak by Notre Dame quarterbacks, which is now the longest streak uh, that loss by Ian Book gave Notre Dame the longest streak, longest losing streak by starting quarterbacks from the same college since the 1950s. It's up to 24 games a Notre Dame quarterback has started a game and lost, 24 games in a row. Fifteen of those were by Deshaun Kaiser. Four, uh, four of them were by Jimmy Clausen, four by Brady Quinn, and now one by Ian Book. So that is not a record you want to have if you're a Notre Dame fan. Uh, over in Atlanta, the Falcons' rookie tight end Kyle Pitts became the first rookie tight end since Mike Ditka in 1961 to reach 1,000 receiving yards uh, in his rookie season. And then over in the NFC West, quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo suffered a torn UCL in his right throwing thumb along with a small fracture in that right hand as well. He did not play in Week 17. Not sure what his status is for Week 18 or potentially the playoffs, which leads us into that playoff discussion. And we are going to start it off in the NFC because there are a lot, uh, there's a lot more clarity about the playoff picture in the NFC. Uh, six out of the seven playoff spots have been clinched. Uh, as it sits right now, the Green Bay Packers, they have clinched the top overall seed at 13 and 3. They will have home field advantage. The current two seed is the Los Angeles Rams at 12 and 4. Uh, they've clinched a playoff spot. They're battling with the Arizona Cardinals, who are 11 and 5, one game behind them, who have also clinched a playoff spot. Um, the Rams play the 49ers in week 18. Cardinals play the Seahawks in week 18. So uh, if the Cardinals win and the Rams lose, uh, I think Cardinals would get the division title. If the Rams win, they clinch the division, uh, but they're currently the two seed. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are currently the three seed at 12-4, and four, and the Dallas Cowboys, uh, the NFC East champs, are 11-5. and five. They're currently the four seed. Uh, I do believe if the Rams win, this order is probably going to stay the same, um, unless Tampa Bay somehow loses to Carolina. 
Dallas beats Philly, I think Dallas can move into the three spot. But I do believe it's looking like the top four seeds, Packers, Rams, Buccaneers, Cowboys. Now, the Arizona Cardinals are sitting there at five. They have clinched a playoff spot at 11-5. and five. They're in. The current sixth seed, and this is very strange, the current sixth seed in the NFC is the San Francisco 49ers. They're 9-7. and seven. They have not clinched a playoff spot at the moment. They play the Rams, like I mentioned, in Week 18. Now, the seventh seed in the NFC is the Philadelphia Eagles. They're 9-7 and seven as well. They have officially clinched a playoff spot due to the tiebreakers with the 49ers. So uh, the Eagles are in the playoffs. 49ers are on the bubble right now. Uh, the only team that can pass them would be the New Orleans Saints. The Saints currently sit one game back at 8-8. Eight and eight, and They play the Atlanta Falcons this week. So it's a good matchup for them. I think if the 49ers lose to the Rams and the Saints beat the Falcons, I believe that the Saints would get that uh, playoff spot over the 49ers. So as it sits right now in the NFC, six of the seven playoff spots are clinched with the Packers, the Rams, the Buccaneers, the Cowboys, the Cardinals, and the Eagles. That final spot will either be claimed by San Francisco or New Orleans based on Week 18. So if San Francisco beats the Rams, they're in. Uh, If they lose, they need the Saints to lose to the Falcons in order to keep uh, that playoff spot. But over in the AFC, this thing is is about as clear as mud, right? Um, There's uh, only five teams that have clinched a playoff spot. That would be Tennessee Titans, Kansas City Chiefs, Cincinnati Bengals, Buffalo Bills, and New England Patriots. Those are the five teams that will be in the AFC playoffs at the moment. There are five total teams that can also clinch the playoffs, uh, the last two spots. Currently, the standings in the AFC, the Tennessee Titans are the one seed at 11-5. and five. Kansas City, uh, they play Houston week 18. Kansas City Chiefs are 11-5. and five. They play Denver in week 18. The three seed at the moment is the Cincinnati Bengals at 10-6. and six. They play Cleveland this week. Buffalo Bills are the four seed at 10 and 6. They play the New York Jets this week. And then the five seed currently heading into week 18 is the New England Patriots at 10 and 6. And they play the Miami Dolphins in week 18. The six seed currently in the AFC is the Indianapolis Colts at 9 and 7. They play the Jacksonville Jaguars in week 18. And then the seventh seed in the AFC at the moment is the Los Angeles Chargers at 9 and 7. They play the Las Vegas Raiders in Week 18, who is they are also nine and seven. So basically, the winner of that game will be in the playoffs, and the loser is probably going to be out. That game was flexed to the Sunday night game here in Week 18, so we'll see um, how that game turns out. The other two teams, so Vegas is currently the eighth seed in the AFC. The ninth seed is the Pittsburgh Steelers at eight seven and one. They play the Baltimore Ravens in Week 18, who happen to be uh, the final team in contention for an AFC playoff spot at 8-8. Eight and eight. So the Ravens and Steelers play. Here are the playoff scenarios uh, in the AFC. The Los Angeles Chargers can clinch a playoff berth with a win or a tie at Las Vegas this week. Pretty simple. Win and you're in. The Las Vegas Raiders can clinch a playoff spot 
uh, with a win versus the Chargers or a tie versus the Chargers and an Indianapolis Colts loss, or they simply, the Colts and the Steelers both lose and the, the Raiders are in. Over in Indianapolis, they can clinch a playoff spot with a win at Jacksonville, or the Steelers and Chargers both lose and Miami beats New England. So lots going on here. The Baltimore Ravens, they can get into the playoffs with a win versus Pittsburgh, and they also need losses by the Colts, the Chargers, and the Dolphins, okay, in order for Baltimore to get in. The Steelers at 8-7-1, they have that tie that's keeping them afloat. They can get into the playoffs with a win at Baltimore and a Colts loss. Plus, they need the Chargers and Raiders game to not end in a tie. So the Steelers need to beat the Ravens, the Colts need to lose, and the Chargers and Raiders cannot tie. So interesting path to the playoffs for those teams. Now, the scenarios for clinching a number one seed in the AFC, the Titans, all they have to do is beat the Houston Texans or the Chiefs, the Bengals, and the Patriots lose or the Chiefs and the Bengals lose and Buffalo wins. That is how Tennessee can clinch the top seed. So basically, they just need to, if Tennessee beats Houston, they're the number one seed. Oh, and the Chiefs here, Kansas City can clinch the number one seed with a win at Denver and a Tennessee loss. So it's a little simpler uh, for them than it is Cincinnati, who can clinch the number one seed with a win at Cleveland. And they also need, if they, they need to win at Cleveland, and Tennessee, Kansas City, and New England all have to lose, or they win at Cleveland and Tennessee and Kansas City lose with a Buffalo victory. So uh, the Patriots, at sitting currently at number five, still have a chance for the one seed with a win at Miami and a Buffalo, Tennessee, and Kansas City loss. Uh, now they can clinch the AFC East with a win plus a Buffalo loss. So if the Patriots beat the Dolphins uh, and Buffalo beats the Jets, the, Jet, uh, the, the Bills would win the AFC East, but the Patriots can still win uh, the AFC East with a win and a Bills loss to the Jets. So there's 32 currently heading into week 18. There are 32 possible wild card matchups in the AFC, which is absolutely insane. Uh, this thing is the order is not even anywhere close to being set. A lot of the teams have good matchups. You know, the Titans play Houston, Buffalo plays New York. New England plays Miami, and Indianapolis plays Jacksonville. So there's, those are games that those teams should win. So this order will look completely different next week than it will uh, than it does right now. Uh, there are two Saturday night games here in Week 18. The Chiefs and the Broncos play Saturday afternoon, and the Cowboys and the Eagles got flexed to Saturday night. Uh, both of those games, I believe, are on ESPN on Saturday. So look forward to some Saturday. Uh, football here in week 18 as we get these uh, playoff matchups sorted out. Like I said, the NFC, just to recap, is uh, pretty much set. Uh, only one team uh, is going to have 
San Francisco and New Orleans are the only two teams fighting for that last playoff spot. We're over in the AFC. It is complete chaos, and really anything could happen. I just read through the scenarios there uh, so you can see just how jumbled the AFC is. But it is going to be a fascinating Week 18 here in the NFL. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League, and we're not going to do a standings update like we normally do. There hasn't been that many games played in the NHL really to affect the standings, and that was due in large part to the holiday break, which was from December 22nd to December 26th. And the season was supposed to resume on the 27th, but the NHL postponed the games on the 27th in order to extend the holiday break. So there were actually 14 NHL games uh, on Monday, the 27th, that were postponed. One game uh, on Tuesday, December 28th, had gotten postponed. And another five games on Wednesday, the 29th, were postponed, which brought the season total to 71 games that had been postponed and needed to be made up. And nine of those games were postponed strictly due to the Canadian attendance restrictions, uh, which limited the number of fans, obviously, that were going to be in the stands. In fact, in Ontario, they've already started imposing some pretty strict uh, stuff. The, the Maple Leafs and, of course, the Raptors over in the NBA, they have halted ticket sales for the next three weeks. Uh, but really, since the games have resumed, uh, the Canadian teams have traveled to the U.S. to play their games. Uh, but all of the games that the U.S. teams had scheduled in Canada have been postponed. There's only been one game where a Canadian team has played another Canadian team, and that was the Senators and the Maple Leafs. They're both in uh, Ontario. So, uh, you know, obviously the COVID is, you know, the, the Omicron has really hit the NHL, and they're... Uh, they're not uh, following what the NBA is doing and just continuing to play. I mean, they, the NHL has resumed games. Uh, over here in the United States, uh, they've basically continued on as normal, fans in the stands, etc. But Canada is freaking out and shutting down, and uh, that's a problem for the NHL. They have seven Canadian teams. That's something the uh, NBA does not have to deal with. They only have the one Canadian team, so... Uh, NHL's, they need to get it figured out. Uh, now, the CDC guidelines for recommended quarantine period uh, have been reduced to five days, and the NHL has aligned with those to modify their protocols. So the isolation period for somebody who tests positive has been moved from 10 to five days in the NHL. So that'll help. But uh, in the meantime, the NHL uh, announced that they have uh, implemented taxi squads for all the teams. And this is basically uh, to help their roster construction for the rest of the year. Uh, basically allows them to make revisions to their roster. Now the taxi squad is uh, effective now through the All-Star weekend, which is February 5th. All right, there's a maximum of six players that can be on the taxi squad. And a player can be on the squad for a maximum of 20 days per player. So we're only talking, uh, you know, it's the beginning of January. This is good through February 5th. So we're talking just about a month's time uh, that this so player can only be on the taxi squad for a maximum of 20 days before they must play in a game. And then the taxi squad is treated uh, as the AHL for salary cap purposes. So it keeps the cap hit low for these players. Uh, the, the players who are ineligible for taxi squad are players that were on an NHL roster at the holiday break on December 22nd. 
uh, or a player who is waiver exempt, all right, or a player who was on an NHL roster 54 days or played in 16 of the last 20 NHL games prior to the holiday break. So that is who's not eligible. Now, the league has also implemented an emergency salary cap uh, adjustment to help aid these teams, um, and that exemption uh, involves recalling players on short notice so they don't impact the salary cap. Uh, But the only really newsworthy topic in the NHL over the past uh, couple weeks has been the uh, NHL Winter Classic, which was back on New Year's Day. The game was in the evening. It was the St. Louis Blues and the Minnesota Wild, and that game was at Target Field in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is home of the Minnesota Twins baseball team. And it was absolutely frigid uh, in Minneapolis that night. The The game time temperature was negative 7 with a wind chill of negative 25, which made that the coldest game uh, in NHL history. And the NHL actually had to heat up the ice to make for ideal playing conditions, which you sound talk about heat up ice not usually a good combo, but the ice was so hard and so frozen that they actually had to heat it up to make it more playable. By the end of the game, the air temperature was actually minus 10 with a wind chill of minus 30. So uh, just unbelievably cold temperatures. Uh, I saw a picture uh, from the stands of a guy holding a can of beer. Uh, It actually had kind of foamed out of the top and frozen uh, like a popsicle. So uh, not sure why you would even try to drink uh, any kind of beverage when it was that cold outside. But props to the fans that showed up, man. There was like almost 40,000 people there at Target Field, sold out, and they all hung tough the entire game. Uh, they, they stayed there till the end of the game. The game itself was pretty crazy. Um, it was a 6-4 to four victory for the St. Louis Blues thanks to their five second-period goals. Uh, There were just goals being scored in bunches. Like, there was, like, three goals in, like, a minute-and-a-half time span uh, during the second period there. Uh, Ten combined goals were the most goals scored for any outdoor game in NHL history. So there's been a lot of of winter classics, a lot of stadium series games, but this was the highest-scoring outdoor game in history. So, um, you know, the NHL, like I said, that's that's all we got for the NHL in terms of news, but uh, Gary Bettman really needs to be careful here on how he proceeds. Uh, the Omicron variant's obviously not going away. There's supposedly a new uh, variant, the IHU variant. Um, you know, we'll see how that affects the NHL any more than Omicron. But uh, the the point is, is the NHL needs to. They already have over seventy games that need to be made up at this point. Um, they have they pulled out of the Olympics. So they have two weeks to make up some of those games. But in reality, this is going to be a massive problem for the NHL with those Canadian teams. And they may end up having to transition to uh, an all-Canadian division for the rest of the year at this rate if they're going to continue to postpone all the games that are scheduled in Canada. But uh, we'll move over real quick to the NBA, do a little update here. We're not going to do a standings update. There haven't been, again, um, haven't been a whole lot of games played. Uh, the NBA took Christmas Eve off. Of course, there were five games on Christmas Day as usual. I don't feel like we need to do a standings update, maybe just for time purposes in this episode. But some newsworthy stuff out of the NBA. 
is the fact that the NBA and the NBA Players Association, they've agreed to COVID protocol changes, much like the NHL, to reduce their quarantine period from 10 to 6 days. Uh, They're saying that fully vaccinated players can clear quarantine in as few as 6 days. Now, the NBA, they've had 11 games that have been postponed due to the Omicron variant. And they have rescheduled those 11 games. The recent surge here in Omicron uh, impacted 21 games total among 19 teams. So, And we've seen that with all of the hardship 10-day contracts that have been handed out. In fact, and this was as of December 28th, this stat. Uh, as of December 28th, there had been 498 games played in the NBA this season with a total of 542 players being used between all the teams, which is the most players used in a season ever in NBA history, and we're only a little over a quarter of the way through the season. The previous high in terms of number of players used in a season was last year with 540, so it was two less than we've already used here through December 28th, and that was in a total of 1,080 games. So this year, 498 games, we've already used 542 players. Now, obviously, those numbers here, uh, as we record this in the beginning of January, those numbers have all increased. We've probably seen more players being used than that. Uh, But prior to last year's high of 540, uh, the 2017-2018 season, uh, it was also 540 players, and that was in uh, 1,230 games. So we've hit a new high in roughly half of the total number of games played uh, as previous uh, highs, which is just, um, that just goes to show you how how many players are getting uh, set and quarantine and all that stuff. But some news real quick in the Eastern Conference. The Brooklyn Nets, Kyrie Irving, he's gearing up to make his uh, season debut. I think he's set to make it this week. A good chunk of the Brooklyn Nets schedule starting in mid-January is on the road. So Kyrie Irving can only play in the road games due to his non-vaccinated status and New York's requirement for that. Uh, Kevin Durant, he actually had to miss the Christmas Day game they played uh, due to COVID, so he's going to be coming back. Uh, The Cleveland Cavaliers uh, guard uh, Ricky Rubio, he tore his ACL, so he's out for the year, which is a big blow. He was averaging about 13.5 points, 6.5 assists per game. So uh, upon receiving that news, they went out, the, the Cavaliers went out and acquired uh, Rajon Rondo from the Los Angeles Lakers in a three-team trade that also included the New York Knicks. So the Cavaliers got Rondo. Uh, they sent Denzel Valentine and uh, the New York uh, to the Lakers. They sent Denzel Valentine from Cleveland and then um, – the 57th pick in the 2016 draft, uh, Wang Zaylin, he they got his rights. They got sent to the, um, the uh, Cavaliers. Uh, the Lakers received Louis Labrie, who was the 57th pick in the 2014 draft, um, from the Knicks. So the Knicks got uh, – basically the Cavaliers got Rondo. The Knicks got Valentin, Denzel Valentin and uh, a prospect, and then the Lakers just received a prospect. So that's kind of how that went down. Uh, Over in the Western Conference, though, the Phoenix Suns, Devin Booker, 
he reached 10,000 career points, becoming the seventh youngest player to do so. That happened a couple days after Christmas. Golden State, they're still looking ridiculously good at the moment. Um, Clay Thompson's coming back this week. It's believed that Sunday, January 9th, against the Cleveland Cavaliers is going to be his first game. Uh, he's just going to bolster an already ridiculous lineup. And I saw a video the other day, Clay Thompson practicing. He made 24 consecutive three-pointers, which is absurd. Uh, he looks like he's in midseason form. He hasn't played a game in like a year and a half. But uh, he is uh, getting ready to take Golden State to that next level. Uh, over in Los Angeles, the Clippers, Paul George has a torn ligament in his right elbow. He's going to be out at least three to four weeks. He's going to be reevaluated at that time. So it's possible he could miss more than that, but right now he's out at least a month. Uh, the Lakers, LeBron James, he reached the 30, 36,000 career point mark uh, a couple days after Christmas. He's the youngest player to reach every round number milestone in points. So basically, Every 1,000, between 1,000 and 36,000, he's been the youngest player to reach all of those milestones. And he also passed Kobe Bryant uh, to become the NBA's all-time leading scorer on Christmas Day. So another big, big milestone for LeBron. Now the Lakers this year, I saw this stat, they have nine losses this year after having a double-digit lead in the game at one point, which is the most in the league. Uh, the Detroit Pistons and Cleveland Cavaliers both have eight such losses. I find it hard to believe that the Pistons have had eight games in which they've had a double-digit lead, but uh, such is the case. Uh, over in Dallas, the Mavericks, they've signed guard Isaiah Thomas to a 10-day hardship contract. He played in one game and then got sent to the COVID list. So Kristaps uh, Porzingis has also just been added to the COVID list, but uh, the good news is Luka Doncic should be coming back uh, soon. Uh, but Thomas has been on just a bunch of teams over the last few seasons. Seems like he just can't can't find a home. Uh, but over in Oklahoma City, uh, rookie forward Josh Giddy. He was the sixth overall pick in this past year's 2021 draft. He became the youngest player in NBA history to record a triple double, and he did that at 19 years old. He had 17 points, 13 rebounds, and 14 assists. And I believe in that game it was against the Dallas Mavericks. But. Uh, That'll, that's all we're going to do for uh, the NBA and the NHL, just get you caught up real quick on those on that news here. We'll probably do a full standings update on the next episode. Uh, we just haven't had enough games played to really have the standings change that much. But we'll move back over to the college ranks for just a brief minute. We'll do uh, men's college basketball rankings update. This is the Associated Press Top 25 poll that went out on Monday, January 3rd. So this is the most recent uh, men's college basketball poll. We'll start off at number 25. It's Texas Tech. They're 10 and 2. Uh, they've lost, remember they lost Coach Beard to the Texas Longhorns, uh, but they have continued where Coach Beard left them. They're 10 and 2. Uh, 24 is Seton Hall at 9 and 3. Wisconsin's number 23 uh, at 10 and 2, but I believe the day after, I think they played. Uh, Purdue either the third or the fourth and they ended up beating Purdue who is inside the top five so Wisconsin should be moving up in next week's rankings Xavier's number 22 they're 11 and 2 number 21's LSU they're 12 and 1 uh, their only loss was to Alabama who is uh, further up in the rankings here number 20 Colorado State they're 10 and 0 
Number 19, Villanova, 9-4. and four. Coach Wright's program still uh, always inside that top 25. Number 18 is Tennessee. They're 9-3. and three. 16 is Providence. They're 13-1. and one. They just beat Seton Hall last week uh, in a big matchup there. Kentucky's number 16 at 11-2. and two. Uh, Alabama's number 15 at 12-3. and three. Again, I just mentioned that they beat LSU uh, this past week. Number 14 is Texas at 11-2. and two. Uh, They have opened Big 12 Conference play with two straight wins. Um, so they're looking really good. Coach Beard's got those guys rolling. Number 13, Ohio State. They're 9-2. and two. Number 12 is Houston at 12-2. and two. They're, uh, They were a Final Four darling, I believe, last year. <clears throat> and they're continuing where they left off. Number 11 is Iowa State. They're 12-1. and one. They're really good. Their only loss this year is to Baylor, who's the top team in the country. So they're looking really, really formidable. Number 10 is Michigan State. They're 12-2. and two. They started off the season not ranked inside the top 25, which was uh, very strange. Tom, Tom Izzo-led program needs to be ranked inside the top 25. They have the talent, and they have the coach. So it's not surprising to see Michigan State uh, inside the top 10. Number nine is Auburn, 12 and 1. Number eight is Arizona, 11 and 1. They just took their first loss this past week. They had started off 11 and 0, I believe. Number seven is USC at 12 and 0. Number six is Kansas at 11 and 1. Number five is UCLA at 8 and 1. Their only loss was to Gonzaga, who is number four. So Gonzaga is 11 and 2. Uh, Purdue is 12 and 1. Although uh, now I, I think they're twelve and two now. That this this was before uh, that game against Wisconsin. Duke is number two at eleven and one, and then Baylor sits up top, receiving all sixty-one first place votes with a record of thirteen and zero. So you can see some some teams have played uh, uh, twelve games, eleven games, twelve games. Some teams have played fourteen games, fifteen games. Uh, you can just see, I mean, COVID has impacted college basketball as well. There's been quite a few postponements. Uh, you know, teams aren't playing at, at full full speed just because they're, you know, have guys testing positive. But, uh, yeah, rankings, obviously college basketball is still a ways from being done. So uh, that is the January 3rd edition of the uh, men's AP Top 25 rankings in college basketball. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island, and that is where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. Um, kind of run through this real quick. We'll start off in the National Football League. Uh, legendary NFL head coach and broadcaster John Madden uh, passed away unexpectedly on Tuesday, December 28th. He was 85 years old, and he had coached the Oakland Raiders from 1969 to 1978. His career record as a head coach was 103-32-7. and seven. Uh, He took the Raiders to a Super Bowl and won that Super Bowl in 1976. He was the youngest head coach to reach 100 regular season wins, and he did that by the time he was 42. He never had a losing season as the Raiders head coach, and he actually still leads the Raiders franchise in coaching victories. His career winning percentage was 759, which is just absurd. It's the highest of all time in NFL history for coaches with a minimum of 100 games coached. 
And uh, in addition to that resume as a coach, he was a Hall of Fame broadcaster for many, many years. Him and Pat Summerall made a just dynamic broadcast duo, probably one that will never be topped. And then in addition to all of that, of course, the NFL football video game made by EA Sports is named Madden and has been for years and years. So uh, I'm pretty sure all of you listening have probably played Madden at one point. Uh, definitely is one of my favorite games. So uh, rest in peace, John Madden. You are definitely a football icon. But uh, the NFL, uh, moving on to some other NFL news, the NFL released their list of finalists for the 2022 Hall of Fame induction. Uh, I'm just going to read through the names. There's about 15 of them. Jared Allen, Willie Anderson, Rondé Barber, Tony Baselli, Leroy Butler, Devin Hester, Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson, Sam Mills, Richard Seymour, Zach Thomas, Demarcus Ware, Reggie Wayne, Patrick Willis, and Bryant Young. Now, there's uh, it's a good mix uh, of mid 2000s NFL studs and uh, early uh, late 90s, early 2000s NFL studs. That's kind of where we're at with that list, and so it's a good group of uh, talent. I'm curious to see who will get inducted, and we will certainly cover that when that happens. But those are the finalists for this year's Hall of Fame class. Uh, Some other NFL news. The Washington football team, they have come out and said that they are going to formally announce their new team nickname and their jerseys on February 2nd, which is about a week before the Super Bowl. Uh, The team is published a, a statement that said that you know they back when they were seeking uh, public nominations uh, the the name Red Wolves and Wolves came up quite a bit it was very popular among the fans but uh, they came up with some logos and some designs and due to some copyright infringement trademarks and whatnot they were not able to go with either of those names so neither of those two will be a finalist uh, I did see a report that says that the six-name finalists are believed to be the Armada, the Presidents, the Brigade, the Defenders, the Red Hogs, and the Commanders. Now, that list uh, was just based on speculation of what they've already said, but uh, they did release a sneak peek of their jerseys. And you can kind of you can find that on the internet. The inner collar of the jersey appears to have three stars, which uh, would symbolize the rank of a commander in the military. <clears throat> so commanders out of that group, commanders may be uh, the leader in the clubhouse for the new nickname. Now, recent I actually just read a report uh, recently after finding that list of names that said that their name was leaked, and when I clicked on it. Uh, it said that the name Admirals has surfaced because somebody went to uh, www.washingtonadmirals.com and it was linked back to the Washington football team website. Uh, I've tried to verify that myself, but that Admirals link is not active. So uh, that may have been a false article, but uh, the commanders or the admirals, both of those with the military uh, flair there with the stars on the inside collar of the jersey, uh, both of those would be good guesses. Now, the Admirals wasn't listed in uh, one that original list I, I gave, but um, at this point, really, it's anybody's guess. But uh, I think both of those, being in Washington, D.C., uh, at the nation's capital, I certainly think 
commanders or admirals would be uh, a good nickname for the Washington football team. The final piece of NFL news here and around the island is the fact that the NFL has reached out to the city of Arlington, Texas, and AT&T Stadium officials about using AT&T Stadium as an emergency backup site for this year's Super Bowl. Now, the NFL, apparently, they find emergency replacement sites every year, uh, but with this year's COVID situation and and the way things are changing uh, daily, let alone weekly, uh, anything can happen between now and February 13th, which is when the Super Bowl is set to be played, just over a month away. It's scheduled to be at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, which is just right outside Los Angeles. And the talks are still in the works, but it is definitely believed that AT&T Stadium will be the replacement Super Bowl site should any possible COVID restrictions arise in California, which is likely to happen or possible to happen. And that would cause a shift, of course, in location of the game. So uh, AT&T Stadium hosted a Super Bowl uh, not too long ago. Uh, I've probably been close to 10 years now. Um, but it's uh, it would be a good venue. Uh, it was just uh, – I was actually there on Sunday. I watched the uh, Cardinals and the Cowboys game uh, in person there. It was a very uh, good game. But um, the, the venue itself, I've been there many a times – it's an absolutely beautiful stadium, and uh, certainly not as beautiful as SoFi now, but uh, it's also uh, quite a bit older than SoFi. So uh, either venue would be a good location for the Super Bowl, and uh, it'd be cool to have the Super Bowl here in North Texas again. Over in Major League Baseball, uh, we're still in a lockout. Do not have any uh, new news on that. Haven't seen anything about any of the talks between MLB and MLBPA, but we do have a retirement to cover. Uh, Seattle Mariners third baseman Kyle Seeger has officially announced his retirement from Major League Baseball. He played 11 seasons. All of them were with the Seattle Mariners, and his retirement actually comes as a bit of a surprise. Uh, This past year with Seattle, he had a career high in home runs with 35 and RBIs with 101. He's only 34, uh, but he was set to become a free agent. So instead of testing the free agent market uh, and currently dealing with the lockout, of course, he just opted to retire. Uh, He did win one Gold Glove Award in his career, and made one All-Star Game appearance. Now, of note, his younger brother, Corey, just signed a 10-year, $325 million contract with my Texas Rangers just before the lockout started. We talked about that a few episodes ago. Uh, And then the last thing, uh, well, a couple things here. Move on to college football. Uh, A few more high-profile names opted out of their bowl games. We've kind of already mentioned them uh, during the Uh, bowl game recaps, but uh, Ohio State had four players opt out, including wide receivers Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. They're both projected to be first-round picks, and uh, I can understand why they opted out. That left Jackson Smith and Jigba to have basically the receiving field to himself. Uh, That's why he put up the numbers he did. Uh, Iowa State, their running back, Brees Hall, he had opted out of the Cheez-It Bowl, did not play uh, in that. He led the nation this year with uh, 23 touchdowns, owns the FBS record for uh, rushing touchdowns in consecutive games with 24 straight games. And I assume that he will be the first running back taken off the board in April. And then Oklahoma, they had, there's quite a bit to talk about here with Oklahoma. Uh, running back Kennedy Brooks dominated the Alamo Bowl, 150 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, he act, He chose to play in the game and he 
uh, dominated, and he significantly improved his draft stock. And upon the completion of that game, he announced that he was going to be entering the NFL draft. So Kennedy Brooks is leaving Oklahoma, but uh, he did nothing but improve his draft stock there in the Alamo Bowl. Now, the most shocking news from Oklahoma came to us via the transfer portal. Freshman quarterback Caleb Williams announced that he is going to enter the transfer portal. He didn't come into any game until the second half of the Texas OU game, Red River Showdown. And from that point on, he had 1,912 passing yards, 21 touchdowns, four interceptions, and also added six rushing touchdowns. Uh, pretty much dominated in the Alamo Bowl, threw three touchdowns, uh, just was a you know, was an absolute beast. He was one of the top, the top quarterback recruit in the country this past year. Uh, basically sent Spencer Rattler packing from OU. And this, you know, Caleb Williams did say that he was keeping OU in contention for his services, but I'm not sure why you would enter the transfer portal uh, if you were planning on staying. My guess is, you know, because that, that's not going to cause anything but rifts in uh, that Oklahoma program. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Caleb Williams is leaving. But we'll have to see on that. I'm guessing he's chasing a NIL deal somewhere, and he'll probably end up somewhere like Georgia. I think I read Georgia's strong contention because, of course, Stetson Bennett is, uh, is going to be leaving uh, as a senior. So stay tuned on that for sure. Uh, and if that wasn't bad enough... After that news of Caleb Williams broke, uh, star freshman Mario Williams, he announced that he's entering the transfer portal as well. He was a four-star recruit, one of the top receivers in the country, and he is following Caleb Williams out the door. Uh, But OU did get their, I guess you could say, replacement quarterback. uh, Transfer quarterback Dylan Gabriel, formerly of UCF, University of Central Florida, uh, he announced uh, a couple weeks ago that he was transferring from UCF over to UCLA, but after Caleb Williams transferred, uh, announced that he was entering the portal, uh, Dylan Gabriel uh, decided to transfer to OU instead. So uh, they have at least filled that quarterback void uh, at the moment, but we'll see on that. There were many other opt-outs, and there's been a lot of uh, declarations for the NFL draft. Uh, Cincinnati's cornerback Ahmad Gardner, Sauce Gardner, he's announced he's entering the draft. Uh, Michigan defensive end David Ojabo, he's going to enter the draft. And, um, of course, Aiden Hutchinson as well. So uh, those guys all played in their playoff games, but uh, they're they're going to be entering the draft too. So uh, just keep an eye on college football and who all is declaring for the draft because it's shaping up to be a pretty pretty solid draft class, especially on the defensive side of the football. But the final piece of news in Around the Island is kind of some miscellaneous news. Uh, everybody knows um, sports retailer uh, Fanatics. It's uh, they're a global retailer, merchandiser, you know, memorabilia, fanatics.com. You can buy any kind of sports shirts, hoodies, hats, whatever uh, for your favorite team uh, on fanatics.com. But the company of Fanatics has actually acquired Tops trading cards in a deal that was finalized this past week. So anybody that's grown up getting baseball cards or football cards, uh, player cards, those are made by Tops. And so Fanatics is buying out Tops for a price tag of $500 million, which is uh, pretty pretty hefty. And the deal includes 
tops uh, like physical collectibles as well as digital collectibles as well. So Fanatics is basically taking the place of tops on that for the price of $500 million. But uh, yeah, definitely um, that's going to wrap this episode up. But again, you know, just my take on the COVID thing is we're just going to have to get through it. The NBA is doing it right. Um, NHL, I'm very concerned for uh, the next uh, coming month uh, of what we see in the NHL just because of the seven Canadian teams. I think it's very possible that they end up with an all-Canadian division to finish the season. Uh, we'll have to see on that. But, uh, yeah, this this thing is not going anywhere, at least anytime soon. Um, we'll have to see. But, uh, again, it's just sports as we know it is continually changing, and uh, we'll keep you up to date here on the next few episodes as best we can. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.